This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. It was momentous news for CARP members when Premier Doug Ford acted on a major ask by the Zoomers advocacy group and fired Marilee Fullerton from her post as long-term care minister. She's been replaced by former finance minister Rod Phillips, who had been benched for a while after taking that ill-advised trip to St. Bart's last December, while the rest of us were in lockdown. Libby spoke with our Zoomer squad about the big move, suggesting by putting Rod Phillips in this portfolio, it could be a sign of how much the governing PCs realize they've been held responsible for much of the damage caused by COVID-19 in long-term care. Here are Peter Mugrich, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, David Kravitz, CARP's chief membership officer and vice president here at Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, CARP's chief operating officer and chief policy officer. Well, it's a win for CARP. It vindicates the position we, uh, uh, that CARP, uh, took and, uh, uh, we're, we're pleased to see that it, uh, happened, and now we're watching carefully to see the changes that must be made by the uh, the new leader. David? I agree with Bill. It vindicates our position, but I also think, uh, as you said in the intro, it demonstrates how serious the whole topic is. Um, I think they feel they can't go into an election, which is, I think, almost a year to the day from today, without uh, a much more uh, aggressive approach to this file and possibly a track record of a few things that, you know, Phillips may may do. And I think that the seriousness uh, that they're approaching this is also a further vindication of uh, the noise that CARP's been making on this topic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Peter, is it, uh, as they say, uh, closing the barn doors after the horses have escaped? Well, it certainly seems like that, Libby. And it raises questions on, you know, whether Ford let her remain at her post until the worst of the pandemic was over so she could be sort of the scapegoat for it all. And then as soon as things are looking up, he, he shuffles her out and, and uh, puts in a new new face to sort of turn the page on all that uh, misery and put it behind them. So it certainly seems like a very calculated move by the Ford government. And, um, you know, uh, she was a highly unpopular minister, but it, it took him forever to move. And, um, you know, there was criticism from CARP. There was criticism from the press. There was criticism from the opposition, and he stuck with her, and now it, it, it seems like it's a very calculated move. Well, you know what? I'm, I have no doubt that, that that analysis is correct. I mean, you know, the NDP uh, made a little bit of noise that because of, of 
Rod Phillips, you know, he left under a cloud. But I think it was always clear that he was going to be brought back in. He's considered very competent. Uh, Bill, so what do you think? uh, What do you think that he has to do more than their stated plans? Like they keep announcing in dribs and drabs they're doing this or that or the other thing. Or do you think he has to do something drastic? Well, he, he, what he needs to do is take action now and not, uh, plans and promises for the, for the future. And he, he has been a person like that in, in the past in his, his other roles. The other thing that Carp, uh, is sure that he has to do is take a long, hard look at the ministry itself. Uh, the deputy, the assistant deputies who have been ineffectual uh, and unsupportive of the previous uh, minister. Uh, uh, we fe- actually felt sorry on occasion for uh, Marilee Fuller. She seemed to be left out uh, to dry by her own staff. And we would expect uh, Rod Phillips to come in hard and that we could very easily see a change in uh, deputy minister of long-term care as, as a part of uh, the series of change, if the premier is serious about really taking action now. I think he has to show that he is going to change the culture of the ministry. And so I think that his job is going to be to make it front and center and candidly, somebody with equal seniority and equal clout to uh, work with Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health, and between the two of them, to reshape the whole structure, according to the hundreds of recommendations between Morocco and Lissick, the Auditor General, he's got a very clear list to do list. And I think that the Ford government's going to be judged, and CARP's certainly going to try to make it that way, going to be judged by how many of those items get, um, get dealt with. David Kravitz, CARP's Chief Membership Officer and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder, CARP's Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Premier Doug Ford's firing of Marilee Fullerton from her post as long-term care minister continued to prompt reaction when Libby was joined on Tuesday by Fight Back Strategy Panel. But what about Rod Phillips? How will he handle all of the challenges facing long-term care, which has been so devastated by COVID-19? And is it appropriate to bring back the former finance minister after his much-criticized, miscalculated move to travel to St. Bart's last December when the province was going back into lockdown and the pandemic was still raging? For their answers to these questions, here are Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, Liberal strategist Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel to National Public Relations, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. The timing was right. <clears throat> I think the, uh, the, uh, the shuffle itself, I thought, was, uh, was very smart and, and obviously a uh, an election battle ready kind of cabinet that'll take uh, the premier and, and this government into into the election next year. <clears throat> I thought a couple of key, um, uh, uh, obviously, uh, selections with with Rod Phillips coming back. Um, I thought that was a smart move. It was you know Rod is just too talented of a 
of a guy to have outside. Obviously, he had to pay the price for, for his ill-advised uh, uh, holiday trip that he took back in December. Then there shows how serious the Premier is to make sure that long-term care is fixed. Obviously, it's going to be an, an issue that, that this government's going to want to have uh, resolved and, and have some issues dealt with more more uh, appropriately before the next election. And having Rod in there was smart. And it's one of those portfolios, Libby, that, and, and Bob knows this, long-term care usually gets you know tied into Ministry of Health. So that usually it's, a, it's, you know, one minister deals with Ministry of Health and long-term care. Some governments split it up, but I'm glad to see that, you know, he's putting in somebody as serious as Rod uh, Phillips in there, because obviously it's one of those portfolios that I think from now on will always garner, um, you know, a seasoned uh, minister uh, to, to, to run that file, because before you, you always get it as a junior ministry, as an associate ministry, but not anymore. I think given the, the challenges that we faced, you know, I think that's going to be changed from now on, and having Rod there was good. And also, he brought in a lot of uh, good, talented ministries ministers from, from the GTA, which is an important battleground for, uh, for the premier of the next election. What does Phillips have to do so that the conservatives won't wear the terrible devastation during this time last summer, everybody knew another wave was coming in Quebec. They did or tried to do a few things to mitigate here. Not so much. Yeah, look, uh, I think it is the, the government's weakest file. I, I think she was a terrible minister of long-term care. Uh, by the way, she was a terrible minister of colleges and universities before that, Marilee Fullerton, that she continues in, in uh, cabinet is breathtaking, in my opinion. She should have been shown the door. Where I thought it was strange, if I could say it is, you do cabinet shuffles to clean up the mess that you have. Basically, you know, I don't care which party is in power. And when you don't do any changes in education, which has been a real, uh, you know, uh, a fire point for this government, that's kind of odd. And it leaves poor Stephen Lecce in that, in, in that job. And, and keeping Marilee Fullerton in cabinet was just insane, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, so I would I would describe the, the shuffle as smart and strange, both at the same time. <laughs> OK, the opposition is is trying to, uh, you know, capitalize on the fact that Phillips had to resign. They're trying to they, they're bringing up uh, fundraisers. They're trying to make him look corrupt. Is that going to work at all? Do you think? I don't think so. I, you know, he's I, I think he, he's well regarded and he, everyone believes that he's a competent minister, and he just made a bad decision. So he was punished off to the sidelines, and he paid his penance, and now he's back. And so I, I think that um, the big issue for the government is not going to be defending Rob Phillips. The big issue for the government now is still trying to figure out what they're all about. And, you know, uh, Doug Ford was just was just kind of getting his footing before the pandemic hit, and then he had initially a good response to the pandemic. I think there's some questions about whether... Um, his ongoing handling of the pandemic. And so he's got a lot of challenges ahead. And there's still, I think, that what he needs to overcome is is that he, he seems to, you know, whipsaw from one issue to another without actually having a real clear message about what his government is all about. I think that with this cabinet shuffle, there is a, an opportunity to reset. And I think that that reset is as important as, as the, the people he put in place. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, liberal strategist Bob Richardson, senior counsel to National Public Relations, and John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Fight Back's Tuesday strategy panel.
You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, double vaxxed and ready to book a vacation outside Canada. The best advice next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Last week's guidance from the National Advisory Committee on Immunization on the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine changed yet again, frustrating and annoying many of the 2 million Canadians who received that vaccine as their first shot and some of the people who had already received AZ as a second shot. What was recommended a week ago Thursday was that those of us who had a first AZ shot would be better off getting a second dose of an mRNA vaccine, either Pfizer or Moderna. This guidance came just a few days after a recommendation that AZers should make their own decisions and any choice of second dose would be fine. Members of NACI keep saying that they are changing their guidance because the science changes first. Fight Back went to Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, to get his take on this new advice. The situation we're in is typically uh, not happening within weeks, but within several years. I'm sitting in guidelines committees, you know, and typically every four years we have a new guideline. And here, things are happening every week, every two weeks or so, and things are evolving, the condition is evolving, and therefore guidance is changing. And what we're talking about right now is just relatively new evidence, which is in line with what we discussed, you and I, before, of course, that just now clearly just indicates, look, we have Delta, this new variant that is actually really more transmissible in the province, and we know that Moderna and Pfizer just works better against those, and therefore um, NASI is, is uh, revising their guidelines. What actually should happen with all of us is we should actually be grateful for NASI. Even so, they have a difficult job. They really go with the science, and what you know is they will not just make you know some convenient statement that could be convenient to a political leadership. They will make the statement that is in the best interest of the people. Right now, it's Take an mRNA vaccine, it doesn't matter which one it is, and this will protect you and the population better against Delta. What do you say to people? Because now there are uh, people who've taken AstraZeneca, perhaps as two doses, who are feeling that they have an inferior product. On the other hand, they're hearing from uh, other authorities, it's a good vaccine, don't stress. Uh, I mean, my take is that the advantage for doing it the other way, it's uh, it's kind of a marginal advantage. It's it is it. What's your view? It's a good vaccine. Don't stress. That's exactly the the, the point here. So first of all, we need to be aware of that. Against severe disease, the different types of vaccines are all similarly protective. So your um, probability to end up in hospital because of COVID-19 is reduced by the same extent, by 90 to 95% after AstraZeneca twice, after um, Moderna or after Pfizer. All good. Or in a combination. The point is, 
this is about you know getting uh, uh, potentially uh, infected and then transmitting the disease. There, Moderna and Pfizer are a bit better. But you see, any of those vaccines now in the vast majority of people reduces COVID-19 that was really threatening in quite a few people just to a sniffle. That's the difference, and that's the difference that is the most important for individuals. At the population level, what also counts, of course, is that everybody is as, as much protected as possible against infections, and that's where the second dose uh, preference for uh, Moderna or Pfizer comes in. Dr. Uni, what would you like to leave us with on this, and, and, and again, your message to people who might be uh, uh, feeling a little strange about mixing doses and AstraZeneca and all of that? So first of all, this is no different than brands of of, of gasoline. You don't care. You just go to the uh, and, and get new gas for your car. It's the same here now, and I really mean that. My wife Elena tomorrow will get Moderna after the first dose Pfizer, for example. I received yesterday in the evening new data from the province of Ontario indicating that Moderna is at least as good as Pfizer, also against the Delta variant. Taking all of this together, let's just continue the good work we're doing. We're actually world leading now with our vaccine rollout. And if we now just get as many people to first doses who still need first and as many people to second doses as possible, you know, we will be through with this very, very soon. So let's just keep going. Let's help each other. We can do that. We did it before. And now just, uh, you know, let's make it to the finish line during the next six, seven weeks. Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table, in conversation with Libby Snymer on Monday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, the Trudeau Liberals announced the end of quarantine requirements for fully vaccinated Canadian travellers returning home by air. As of end of day, July 5th, they instead will have to upload proof of COVID vaccination to the Arrive Can app and have a negative COVID test no more than 72 hours before they arrive in Canada. These travelers will also have to take another test on arrival, but will only have to quarantine if they test positive for the virus. At the same time, Canadians are advised not to travel internationally just yet. In an effort to get more answers, Libby Snymer was joined on Tuesday by Dr. Marion Joppa, School of Hospitality, Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph, and Richard Smart, CEO and Registrar of the Travel Industry Council of Ontario. We know that through some of the recent uh, programs that the federal government has had with the airlines, Air Canada, uh, in Air Transat, that they put some strict requirements around the uh, government assistance that's been provided. And we've seen as a result of that, the, the airlines are providing a lot more flexibility, particularly when it comes to, to refunds. Uh, so if someone is uh, denied that passage on the, on the airline, they at least have the comfort, uh, unlike it was before, that, that there is a, a refund at the, uh, at, at the end of the, end of the tunnel. Um, but I think airlines uh, in, in general are, like, a, like all travel operators, has just been this, this void uh, of travel over the last 15 months. And the, the, the pent-up demand uh, for, for travel is there. And, and I think if uh, travelers have met their, um, their, uh, their uh, eligibility requirements for travel, 
uh, airlines are not looking to turn that turn passengers away. Uh, but in the event that they do, uh, uh, in Ontario, we've got travel uh, legislation in place where the consumer, if they book through a, um, a TECL travel uh, travel agent agency or a website, there are certain protections available to them. Dr. Joffe, another interesting thing with all of this, uh, speaking of travel agents, is that I've talked to travel agents and they're, you know, not entirely sure. Some It's not clear if other countries will accept fully vaccinated travelers. How, how do you see this period? Well, it's very confusing uh, because every country seems to have its own rules. And even in the European Union, where they're trying to coordinate between the countries, it's not really happening. And countries have sort of their own sub-rules almost. Uh, which makes it very, very difficult for people. And, and these rules can also change on a dime. Uh, just think about what happened for the second time with the UK and, and people coming back from Spain, and suddenly they were told they have to quarantine, and everybody in a mad rush tried to get back home to, to the UK before that uh, took effect. So the rules are still very, very flexible from a government's perspective, and they can impose them at a moment's notice. Each country makes its own rules, and uh, so many countries ask you to have a um, vaccine or or negative test, I should say, uh, prior to boarding the plane. And some, including Canada, require it on arrival as well. So you actually have two within a span of, uh, you know, two or three days. Um, so, yeah, every country makes its own rules and they change constantly. It's part of the risk you're taking these days with going abroad. Uh, there is a, an app that the federal government has called uh, Canada Arrive, and it's very important, it's a requirement, in fact, that uh, travelers um, register on that site and, and uh, upload their documentation that supports the fact that they've had the two vaccinations in order to qualify for the eligibility requirements coming back in. So right, but they've asked, they've asked people to wait till July the 5th when they have the latest version of the app before doing that. Even though everybody talks about July 5th, it actually doesn't kick in until July 6th because a minute to midnight, I'm sorry, that, that may still be technically July 5th, but it means that the rules change July 6th. Dr. Marion Joppa, School of Hospitality, Food, and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph, and Richard Smart, CEO and Registrar of the Travel Industry Council of Ontario. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Isa in Woodbridge phoned to say she's ready to travel outside Canada. We are going to take a trip. We are daring. Um, <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah. 
but we're both vaccinated, both my husband and I. Okay, we have both um, vaccinations. And we were just wondering, I know that we have to take a COVID test 48 hours prior to the departure. The flight is eight and a half hours, and there's a six-hour difference when we arrive in Rome. What do we do there? Do we need to be retested again? Pat in Toronto phoned to offer his opinion of the now-fired Ontario long-term care minister. I want to defend Marilyn Fullerton because she's a person with significant education. I don't think many realize that it's the deputy ministers and the staff that run the government. And that's important. But also, there's no, there was no money. So you can't, you can't do things if you don't have money. Things don't happen that quickly. And, and we still haven't heard anything as to where the money's going to come from. And I go back to what Wynne did was to try and get CPP increase because so many people go into into long-term care and all of a sudden don't have any money. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Jane in Scarborough, who phoned about how she's managed to lose a substantial amount of weight that she put on during the pandemic. My doctor back in March had sent me for some blood tests and then I had told my husband, I said, I'm going to stop drinking because of the blood test. And then she told me to adopt a Mediterranean style of eating and I found it so easy and so liberating that I wasn't on junk food, I wasn't on processed food, I wasn't going to fast food anymore, um, I cut out the alcohol, which I was worried would be a problem. And I found it very liberating, and I'm now down uh, 18 pounds since March without doing anything other than eating wholesome food. It's surprisingly been easy and very liberating that, you know, I feel so much better. I've lost weight. My clothes are fitting better. In fact, some are getting big. It's come off 18 pounds. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. And call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 416- Three six seven nine six three six. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.